Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper podcast. I'm Grace Atwood. And I'm Becca Freeman. Today is book club. It feels like so long since we've had a book club. And I guess it's that's probably because we took the break and this is our first book of the new year. Well, I've been excited to talk about this all month, so I'm glad it's book club. I'm so glad we did this as our book. Me too. But before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by Knight, the makers of our all-time favorite pillow and our favorite silk face mask. You can take 20% off site-wide at discoverknight.com with code BADONPAPER. Before we get into the book, should we do some quick highs and lows? Yeah. Well, I mean, what if I said no and we, I just decided to change the format for the week? I don't know. What would you do? I mean, I guess that's your prerogative. Would you be like, well, I have a high? <laughs> I don't feel like my highs or lows are that high or low this week. So, like, I feel like they're mediums. No, that's not Mine true. Mine are total mediums. I'm in the same boat. That's not true. That's, like, not fair to my high. I feel like some weeks are, like, so dramatically high and low. And mine this week are just, like, very middle of the road. Tell me your high. My high is that this past weekend, so I guess when this drops, it'll be two weekends ago, my mom and I took a pet portrait class with this artist. I think her studio is in West Ashley. Her name is Julia Deckman, and I painted Tyrion. My mom painted Muddy. There was wine. I hadn't painted anything in like years and years, and it was so fun. Now, I remember seeing you talking about going to this, like the lead up. And I saw your mom's painting of Muddy, but I don't think I saw yours of Tyrion. Did you share it? I did. Oh, I yeah. just missed it. I was like, did you not share yeah. it because you were embarrassed? I was medium on my painting. I felt like Julia was really helpful in that she helped me with the eyes. And once we got his eyes, he looked more like himself. It wasn't easy. I am proud that I really got his colors really well because I feel like other artists have painted Tyrion for me and stuff. And sometimes I'm like, you're not capturing his creaminess. Did you put your painting of him on your Tyrion gallery wall? Yeah, I did. I love that. I'll send you a picture. I want want to see it. I put this on stories. Yeah, he's up there. I must have, I don't know. I must have not been paying attention. Uh, He's up there. He's looking good. Good for him. (laughs) What's your high? My high is that last night I had Hannah Orenstein over to have wine and cheese. And she's a new friend. She's also the author of Head Over Heels. And she has a new book coming out this year. And we've like followed each other on Instagram for a couple of years. And this year we started to get friendly. And she's been such a great resource to me in terms of knowledge about publishing and and being an author. But I also just really like her. And it is really exciting to have a new friend because I feel like with the pandemic, I like haven't had a new friend in a while. So yeah, it was just nice. We She ended up staying, she came over at like seven and she ended up staying to like 1130 and we drank two bottles of wine. And like, we're just chatting and we told each other all about what our next books are going to be. And hers sounds great. But yeah, it was just really fun. I love that. That's so fun. Making a new friend is such a good feeling. Yeah. And it's nice to have friends, a friend who is an author because it's something I've never done before. And I like, I don't know, I feel like I need a lot of advice on the process or whatever. So it's nice to have people to be able to go to. Yeah, totally. What about on the low side? On the low, I don't have a real low. I was in a really horrible mood on Monday for like not really any reason. I think I didn't eat enough. I had like a giant bowl of pasta and felt better afterwards. But I was just like really snappy and short. And I don't like when I feel that way. Yeah. Um, and then today I've got a little bit of a hangover. But <laughs> I mean, these are small lows. They're not They're not like important ones. Yeah, I'm kind of scraping the barrel. It's been a fine week. It hasn't been like a week of highs or lows. It's just a, a week. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? It has taken all of two weeks for me finishing the first draft of my book to go from being a high to being a low. I am just really daunted by the editing process. I'm I'm really daunted. It's like, I feel like it can get there. It's just like, how do I get there? I don't know. So I, I started editing a week ago. And really, at this point, I'm just reading and like making notes and like trying to figure out make a new outline and figure out plot holes and and whatever. So it's not even like I'm writing, but I'm just like, oh, this process. Like it feels like if you've ever like gone on a hike and you like climb to what you think is the top and you get there and then another hill comes into view and you're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't expect this. Yes. I know that feeling. I did expect it, but like it just, it feels more daunting than I thought it would. That makes sense. Well, let's take a quick ad break and then get into book club. So this episode is sponsored by Knight, the makers of 
the pillow I sleep with every night, and the face mask that I reach for most. And I'm also totally obsessed with their scrunchies and their sleep eye mask. But the big news here is that Knight has marked down all of their masks by 50%, and you can stack our 20% discount on top of that with code BADONPAPER to get their silk masks for just $22, which is such a steal. Yes, I love these masks. They are so fantastic for travel, and I find them to be just so much more comfortable than other masks that I wear for long stretches, especially on the airplane. And if you're double masking, which I've been doing now, you can easily pair this with an N95 mask. I really like that it has the adjustable ear loop so I can make it looser or tighter. And because night masks are made with 100% mulberry silk, they don't absorb moisture the way that cotton masks do and help keep my skin hydrated, which is such an added bonus because my skin is so dry this time of the year. And mulberry silk is naturally hypoallergenic, which means this mask keeps my skin clear and prevents maskne, which I think we can all agree is the worst. But don't take our word for it. You know who loves night masks? Pretty much every celebrity. We are not even kidding. Really, every celebrity you can think of has been spotted wearing their night mask. Nina Dobrev, Gigi Hadid, Adele, Adele, Jessica Alba, Hailey Bieber, Priyanka Chopra, the list goes on. It is the mask that Hollywood chooses, and it comes in so many pretty colors. Black, blush pink, gunmetal, navy, emerald, and champagne. So all of Knight's silk masks are 50% off. Go to discoverknight.com today and shop all of Knight's masks and mask accessories. And of course, remember to use bat on paper, all one word, for an additional 20% off. And just note that this is a new code, and it works for their whole website, not just the masks. Let's get into the book. Before we dive in, we do have some trigger warnings for this book. This book deals with coronavirus. That's the first one. It also has content warnings for self-harm, suicidal attempts, and Alzheimer's. So we're going to give you the plot summary, and then we'll jump in to discuss. So the book starts in March 2020, and Diana is an associate art curator at Sotheby's. And she's the type of woman who has her entire life completely planned out. So her and her boyfriend, Finn, who's a surgical resident, are getting ready to go on a vacation to the Galapagos Islands. And Diana thinks he's going to propose to her there. So the night before their trip, Finn tells her that he can't go. The hospital that he works at is bracing for coronavirus. The virus hasn't yet hit the city, but they think it's going to be bad, and time off is discouraged. But he encourages her to go alone, and she decides to go since they've spent so much money on the trip and it's non-refundable. When she arrives to the island, she finds out the island is closing for two weeks. And if she wants to leave, she has to go back now on the same water taxi she came on. In an uncharacteristic move, she decides to stay. Diana is the only tourist on the island, which is under a strict quarantine. Her hotel is closed, but a nice old lady offers her a place to stay. Complicating things even further, her luggage is lost. She does not speak Spanish, and there is no ATM on the island. The only person she has to talk to is Beatriz, a sullen teenager who is from the island but goes to school on the mainland. Her school is closed because of the quarantine. On the island, there's no Wi-Fi or cell signal, so Diana can't contact home. But occasionally, an email from Finn comes through where he tells her the daily realities of being a doctor on the front lines of the pandemic in New York City. Diana writes postcards to Finn, which Beatrice says that she's going to send off-island with fishermen to be posted, but later Diana discovers that she never sent them to him. As Beatrice and Diana grow closer, Diana notices that she's been cutting and is worried about her. She also grows closer to Beatrice's father, Gabriel. So after two weeks, Diana is set to leave, but the island is still not reopening. They don't know when it will be. She's truly stuck. The time out time has Diana reevaluating her life and her life plan from everything from her job to her relationship with Finn. For her birthday, Gabriel, who used to be a tour guide, takes her on a hike to a volcano. Their hike is interrupted when Beatriz comes in to find them. There's an urgent message for Diana that came through on the hotel's email. Her mother is dying of COVID. So Diana makes it back in time to FaceTime with her mother on the hotel's spotty Wi-Fi, which Gabriel gets them to turn on. And later that day, a text comes through letting her know that her mother died. That night, Diana's at her apartment drinking alone and thinking about the legacy of her mother, an award-winning photojournalist who was mostly gone during her childhood, and she finds that she's not actually sad about her passing. When Gabriel comes to check on her, they end up sleeping together. The next morning, they wake up together and are discovered by Beatrice, who feels incredibly betrayed. Diana retreats from Gabriel, confused about what this means for her relationship with Finn. Two weeks pass by, and he invites her on a hike. Things get heavy when he tries to unpack what happened between them, and instead she pushes things off and suggests that they go for a swim. In the ocean, Diana is swept away by a riptide. 
Gabriel tries to save her, but he can't. Diana wakes up in a hospital in New York City and is told that she has COVID. She's been on a ventilator for five days. The Galapagos was all a dream. Diana struggles to recover from COVID. She's isolated in the hospital and feels betrayed by her body and also isolated by the way she's treated by hospital staff who are afraid of catching COVID from her. Eventually, as she recovers, she needs to relearn how to walk and even simple tasks like brushing her teeth. Being on a ventilator for even five days has taken a really steep toll. Eventually, she's discharged, but once she's home, she's still haunted by the memory of the Galapagos. There's also a rift between her and Finn, who is beyond exhausted from his job at the hospital. Diana starts to research near-death experiences and learns that what happened to her is common in COVID survivors who have been ventilated, and is also common in people who have been in a coma. She's knocking around the house, bored at home, since she's also been laid off from her job. So she begins to paint, something she hasn't done since college. Her first painting is a hyper-realistic scene from the Galapagos. That night, she dreams that she's back there. Diana also starts to visit her mother, who is in a memory care facility outside of the city. Her death was also part of Diana's dream. So Diana stands outside the nursing home and visits with her mother who doesn't recognize her, except one day she gets a call that her mom has contracted COVID and Diana has to relive her death for a second time. After her mother's death, Finn proposes to her. He almost lost her and understands how fleeting the future is. She ends up turning him down. She realized that obligation is not love. We get a fast forward to 2023. Diana has gone back to school to become a therapist. She's living with her best friend in Queens, and she's on her way to the Galapagos for real this time. When she arrives, she finds that some things are exactly as she had pictured and other things are not true at all. The book ends ambiguously where she's at the tortoise refuge where she meets Gabriel, and it seems as if the event might be happening again. All right, so we're going to get to the discussion, but we want to take a quick ad break first. So one of the frequently asked questions we get whenever we do Q&As is people asking us for audiobook recommendations. And audiobooks can be really tricky because it's just as much about the narrator as it is the story. And today we have a great recommendation for you. This episode is brought to you by the audiobook edition of Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez, published by Macmillan Audio. The story follows 40-year-old Olga, who's one of New York City's top wedding planners. Olga's grappling with the absence of her mother, advancing her career planning events for New York's elite, and her Puerto Rican roots in the wake of Hurricane Maria, all while falling in love with a new man who forces her to confront the effects of long-held family secrets. I'm about halfway through this one, and it has it all. It has tricky family dynamics, rich people drama, a woman grappling what she wants from her career in life. It has a love story. And I'm learning so much about Puerto Rican culture and history. Plus, I find a multicast audio production so much more engaging. And this one is read by three fantastic voice actors, Almari Guerra, Ines de Castillo, and Armando Riesco, who each narrate a different perspective in the book. Sochiel also has a fascinating personal story. She was raised by her grandmother in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. She was educated in New York City public schools, went on to an Ivy League college, and became one of New York City's most prominent wedding planners. Then she sold her business, attended the Iowa Writers Workshop, where she wrote this novel. The book just came out this month, and it's already getting a ton of buzz. There's also a companion series in the works at Hulu with Aubrey Plaza, Jesse Williams, and Ramon Rodriguez. You don't want to miss this audiobook. You can get it wherever you get your audiobooks. Again, this is Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochiel Gonzalez. All right, Grace, into the book talk. How did you feel about reading a book about COVID? You know, I... um. I went into this blindly, actually, because I packed a stack of books for our trip to Mexico, and I wasn't, I just saw Jodi Picoa. Oh, you didn't know? Jodi is someone, I'll just read her books blindly, and I'm like, I'm taking the new Jodi Picoa book, and I get there, and I was like, fuck, this is about COVID. But then I was like, but it's by Jodi Picoa, so it's going to be good. I was really nervous. I was not sure how I would feel. I think it helped probably that that I felt more hopeful at the time of reading it. You know, we'd been vaccinated. We were on a trip. We were in Mexico. So it it was less scary. I will say I found the, we're going to talk about this, so I don't want to like give away too many of my thoughts here, but the second part and all of the medical stuff, I realized how much I had blocked out. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like we really do in a way, we all have a little bit of PTSD, especially like those those early days of lockdown in New York. It was, I was like, oh no, but then it was like one of my only reading options and then I ended up loving it. 
Yeah, I didn't think that I was ready. I actually, I have only read one other Jodi Picoult book. I read, I have this like very strong memory of reading The Pact, which was like one of her much earlier books on a train somewhere in Europe. I think I was, it was when I was studying abroad. I have no idea how I got this book or like why. And I really liked it, but I, I haven't read any of her other books, even though I know she's popular. But between your recommendation and then I listened to this episode of uh, First Draft with Sarah Enney, which is a podcast uh, where she interviews authors. And I don't listen to all of them, but I listen when I recognize the guest or I've read the book. And Jodi Picoult is a guest on that. And their conversation was so fascinating. And they talked a lot about the research that she did for for the book. And it just really intrigued me. And she also said something in the interview about how people had told her that reading the book was cathartic. And so that made me feel like I wanted to try it. But I didn't think I was ready, but I read it at the height of my own Omicron anxiety. And I think it, in some ways it made me like realize how far we, we've come in this. And I had forgotten how scary some of the early days were, especially in New York. And I don't know. It also was really interesting to me because I feel like at the time when this was all going on in real life, I kind of had my head stuck in the sand because I was worried about myself personally. You know, it was like when we were, there was no toilet paper and like people were wiping down their groceries. And, you know, there were all these things of daily life that I was worried about. And I I was watching the news conferences every day and I had CNN on on a loop and I was thinking about myself. And so it was really interesting now that I'm a little further away from it to hear the perspective of both people who had COVID in the very early days. And it was really wildly terrifying how little it seems like they knew about how to treat it. And then also like the perspective of people working in the hospital, which obviously I know was tough and scary, but I'd never thought about the realities. Really? I feel like I was like so in tune with what was going on with healthcare workers. I feel like there was just like so much news coverage of that. And like, I remember like in our Facebook group and in my Facebook group, there was a lot of healthcare workers talking about things. And so many brands were putting together campaigns to help healthcare workers because, you know, their mental health was suffering. And then there was, you know, like, do you remember the four seasons? Like, was closed and they opened exclusively for healthcare workers. Yeah, but it was it felt different to me where it was like I knew that healthcare workers were burnt out and I knew I obviously knew that their job jobs were trying but I didn't really think about like what the day-to-day of what they were experiencing was like. Yeah, okay. You know what it brought back for me was I was furious at her for going. Like You were? I remember Oh, yeah. Do you remember the real early days of the pandemic where I remember just thinking if everyone would just stay put for the next two or three weeks, this will go away? Yeah, but I wasn't upset with her because it was before it happened. And I feel like I personally, the night before the first lockdown order came, I think I had been out to drinks and I I didn't think that this was going to be a big deal. And the night before that, Casey and I went to go see a Broadway show. Like, I, I think that I don't know. I I didn't think that it was going to be as big a deal until lockdown happened. And so this was before lockdown. Like I kind of, I don't know. I knew plenty of people who were still traveling. Oh, funny. Because I was like so furious at anyone who traveled. I was like, I like canceled all my plans like the week before a lockdown happened. I remember you going to the show and I was like, that sounds really dangerous. Like, I don't think you should do that. I was so mad at her. Like, I was like, why would she do this? Why would she leave her husband, a healthcare worker, and just go on this trip? Not her husband, sorry, her boyfriend. But I was just so mad. I felt like she was a really bad romantic partner, and I felt like she also was being an idiot for traveling. That's so funny. I definitely would have done the same thing she did. Like, they spent so much money. It was non-refundable. And I identified with her being angry at him where he couldn't help it, but it's like, why isn't this your priority? You know? Oh, I don't know. I would have stayed. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely would have stayed. And I was furious at her. <laughs> um, and then we find out she didn't stay. <laughs> but how yeah. did you feel about the reveal that she had COVID the whole time and that the whole thing was was kind of a dream state? It honestly gave me whiplash. Like, 
I remember reading that scene where she wakes up in the hospital. I'm like, oh, but she doesn't have COVID. She like drowned or I was, I, know, or, like, I was thinking about how people went into things like, um, you know, people would come in for a car accident and find out that they had COVID or people would go in to like get cancer treatment and find out they had COVID. And it was just like, so I was like, well, she had this accident, but she must have gotten COVID from Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I was just like, I was so invested in the story from the Galapagos that it was really hard for my mind to even wrap around the fact that it had been a dream. I had to like take a beat and just pause and be like, wait, yeah, none of that happened. The chapter where she wakes up in the hospital was so intense. That was the point where I almost abandoned the book, where it was like a little too much for me because, you know, throughout the first half of the book, you had Finn's emails telling her about what was going on at the hospital, but it was, I, it felt manageable to me. And then when she woke up and she was still in the ICU and like it was unclear that she was going to be okay. It was like, it was almost too much for me. And I was so shocked by the twist. I also kind of felt like an idiot because looking back, there were also things that I was like, yeah, that kind of didn't make sense. It was really masterfully done that at the time I didn't think anything was wrong with it. But then I was like, yeah, it is weird that this 12-year-old child is rappelling into a volcano and nobody seems to think that that's problematic. You know, like there were little things. There were like little things that weren't enough to be like, oh, yeah, like this truly doesn't make sense. Yes. I I, I saw that too after, when I listened to it the second time. But I just – I was so invested that it just took my brains I, – I felt like an idiot too. But I just also – I like couldn't even comprehend that it hadn't been real because – Going back to Jodi Picoult as a researcher, she's incredible. You, I have a whole list of books from her that you need to read, by the okay. way. Because they're all like so well-researched about totally different things. She wrote this book, Leaving Time, which is all about elephants. And it feels like she has a degree in like elephant studies, like if that could be a thing. She's amazing. She talked about in this interview that I listened to on the First Draft podcast with Sarah Enney, she talked about her research for this book and she talked about how she was interviewing um, frontline workers at hospitals who who had been on the front lines in the early pandemic. And then she also talked about, I thought this was really interesting. I think the book was inspired by a real life thing that happened. Yeah. The guy who got stuck in Machu Picchu. Yeah, it was a guy who got stuck in Peru. He was going to Machu Picchu. I think he was a Japanese tourist. And he ended up staying there and he got stuck there. And he became so beloved by the community that when it was safe, they like opened Machu Picchu just for him. Yes, I read that. I listened to that interview too and had read it somewhere else. But I thought that was like such a wonderful story. Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting about being on a ventilator. And that was something I had no idea. Like I had no idea that being on a ventilator for such a short period of time could cause such huge setbacks physically. Huge setbacks. And, you know, I remember hearing about people being ventilated, but I really didn't, I don't think I knew what that meant. Yeah. I mean, you're essentially in a coma. Right. And I just was like, oh, it's a breathing device. But I never thought about even for a few days, like what that would mean. It was really yeah, interesting and scary to to read about Diana's recovery experience. Yeah. I think there was an essay. I don't know. I feel like it was in the Atlantic or something during the beginning of COVID where it was like, you do not want to be on a ventilator. And it was like all of the things that like happen to your body on the ventilator. And I was like, oh, because I remember thinking, well, I could just get ventilated and it'll be fine if I get COVID. <laughs> like, because no. I thought of it kind of like, like kind of like a breathing thing that yeah. you like hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, you're unconscious. You're in a coma. You're, you know, people die going on ventilators. Um, how did you feel about Diana as a character? She, so I know who she reminded you of. She reminded me so much of one of my best friends when I first moved to the city and she was like one of my roommates and one of my closest friends. And I always just felt like such a mess compared to her because, you know, she got married, she now has three kids, like a beautiful home on the Upper East Side. And it was just like everything she did was like this by this age and this by this age. And she did it all like so perfectly. And I was like, this character reminds me so much of this particular friend, except obviously they have very different endings. My friend is very happy and like loves her life. And Diana took a different route. Diana kind of reminded me of Carly 
in in some ways just like how <laughs> goal focused she is and kind of how like singularly minded she is. Yes. I wouldn't say that Diana is a character that I particularly related to, but I think she was the perfect character for this story in terms of like who would this experience have the most impact on. And I I didn't dislike her whatsoever. But I I thought it was really interesting to see her like whole worldview shaken by Mm -hmm. these two experiences of of like being in the Galapagos and having it having found out it was a dream and then also like having recovered from COVID in the early days. So I thought she was a really compelling character. And I also really loved the way that she was with Beatrice. Like I thought that it was really nice and showed that she had a softer side and like wasn't just this like kind of robotic like goal machine type person yes i know i agree i liked her a lot i felt like i'd be friends with her oh you did i mean yeah she's a lot younger than me but like i think in my when i was that age i would have been good friends with her yeah how would you have done if you were in diana's shoes on the island by yourself i don't oh i'm trying to think if i would have stayed or not i don't know if i would have stayed or not in her in her shoes when she gets there and finds out that the island is closing like that feels a little too risky but at the same time you came all this way you already committed so i'm i'm not positive where i would fall on that but let's say i did stay on the island on the one hand the thing that i kept thinking is that in some ways she's a little bit lucky because she was so cut off and she didn't have news access which i feel like being glued to the news and like the constant 24-hour news cycle of it made those early days so much more terrifying because I just I remember having CNN on in the background all day long and so all day long being cut off from it and being in a place where there were no cases like I almost feel like it would be would have been somewhat of a reprieve yeah I I think so too but I think I'd also be incredibly anxious like knowing that it's closed like not understanding what's going on back home just feeling completely cut off from the world, I would not do well with that. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about Diana and Gabriel sleeping together before we knew that this was all a dream? I was furious at her. You were? I was furious at her for so much of this book. I was furious at her for going to the Galapagos and leaving her boyfriend. I was mad at her for then cheating on him. Like, and I will tell you, Gabriel's way more my type than Finn, but I think that she was... I did not approve of how she acted. I think you break up with someone and then you do that. And obviously she had no chance, choice there or whatever. She was cut off from him and they couldn't speak. But I was like, fucking keep it in your pants, Diana. (laughs) I was mad. Oh, man. I was really pretty mad at her the whole book until she woke up. And then I felt really guilty. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Yes, I was furious. I wanted them to sleep together. I feel like I was manipulated along the way where, you know, they kept having these like this connection and these moments and like, no, is it great to cheat on your boyfriend who's a doctor dealing with a pandemic? Absolutely On not. the front lines of a pandemic, I know, not sleeping, but I still, like, risking his life every day. In a separate way, I still like wanted them to sleep together. I like oh. wanted them to end up together. And I thought I this know. was a very different story about a love triangle And, like, how she, you know, what does she want for her life? Does she stay on the island with Gabriel? Does she go back to Finn before I realized? Like, I thought I was reading a very different book. Yeah, I know. And when they slept together, I was like, it's on. The love triangle's on. And then I was like, oh, no. Oh, I was so mad. And then, thankfully, she woke up from a dream and I forgave her. How did how did you feel about the art plotline? I mean, I know art is something that you're so passionate about, and it was really interesting and unexpected that that was like a major plotline in this book. I think it goes back to the research. Like, there's just so many tangents of this story that Jody, re- Jody, my friend Jody, <laughs> I'm tired. I'm sorry, tired of saying the the full four syllables of her name, but that she did in researching this. There was the whole part about the Galapagos, the whole part about the healthcare system and being on the front lines there. And then there was this art story. I really liked it. I I did not, I didn't see it coming full circle. I just thought yeah. it was a fun detail at first. But, you know, you have to, I feel like I need to be better at remembering with, with a Jodi B. Co. book, there is no like unintentional detail. It always comes back somewhere. And I, I liked it a lot. I ended up really liking it too. I was so... 
I didn't see it coming full circle either. Like at first I was I was kind of annoyed, I guess, a little. Like I I get that it was important to establishing Diana's character and like who she was and what she wanted before she went. But I I thought the Katomi Ito storyline, like basically being Yoko Ono, I was like, oh, this is like a little cheesy. But I ended up loving how it came full circle and they became they had this like unlikely friendship at the end and like they came together. I liked that too. I liked the friendship. Like I, I liked the full circleness of it once I understood it. But at the beginning, I was like, I, I don't get this. And maybe it's because I haven't read that many Jodi Picoult books. So I wasn't I, I didn't realize that it would come full circle. But I was like, oh, this is it was great. And again, to your point about the research, it felt like Jodi had worked, our friend Jodi, had worked in the art world like her entire career. Like just the details of what being at work for her looked like were so, seemingly, I don't know anything about what it would be like to be an art curator, but like seemingly so spot on. I couldn't agree more. You got to read her other books because they're all like this. Okay. I'm, I'm definitely going to. Yeah. I'll just add Everyone them to the needs pile. to read Leaving Time. Yeah. Add yeah. them to the pile. <laughs> what about post-COVID Diana? Because I enjoyed post-COVID Diana much more than Galapagos Diana. Oh, I really felt for her. I, I thought that the dissonance that she was experiencing was so well portrayed. And I think a lot of us experienced this, whether or not we had COVID. Obviously, her experience was really heightened. But I, I thought just like, what do I want from life? Like experiencing the pandemic and even more so for having had this like near-death experience, like, what do I want out of life? And I felt, I really felt for her like questioning her own sanity and like not being able to let go of it. I I just, I did. I, I really felt for her after, after she had COVID. I completely agree. One thing in that, in the first draft episode that really stuck with me was Sarah and Jody's conversation about the pandemic, making people really realize what is important and what matters and that, you know, am I healthy? Like, there was one line in that where it's like, can I hold someone's hand as they die? Like things that we just didn't even appreciate prior to the pandemic. And I, you know, are you going to be the same person that you were before the pandemic or do you learn and change from it? That really stuck with me a lot. Like, I I don't know, for me, you know, I, I moved cities to be closer to my family. Like, I think a lot of us made like big life decisions coming out of this. Yeah. I know a lot of marriages have ended. I feel like, I don't know, relationships have either like really moved forward. Like my cousin got engaged to someone she met right before the pandemic. And then I have so many friends who are going through these like di- pandemic divorces now. So I'm really curious to get your take on this because you said that you were mad at Diana for sleeping with Gabriel. What are the ethics of breaking up with your boyfriend who's a doctor on the front line of the pandemic? How did you feel about Finn? How did you feel about her dumping him? I mean, Finn was not my favorite. I think I wouldn't want to date Finn. Why was he not your favorite? I don't know. He was just like kind of boring. Like Gabriel was just like more intriguing. And I'm saying this, like I have all these feelings. Like I said, I'd be friends with Diana, but I said I was mad at her. You, You know, it's both and. Yeah. But I think Finn was not someone I'd want to date, but I also don't think Finn deserved what what Galapagos Diana did to him. Um, <laughs> it's weird to talk about like Diana in her dream versus what Diana did in real life. You know, I think relationships end and, th- and I think she did the right thing there. Like, what is she going to do? Like, hang on to the relationship because there's a pandemic and just never break up with him because he's a doctor and she feels bad for him. So I think she did the right thing there. I wasn't mad about that. I think everyone just needs to live their truth and like be as respectful as they can about things. But (laughs) don't cheat. (laughs) That's all I ask. (laughs) I thought that I I didn't have any problem with Finn. And, you know, I, I thought, especially as he was getting frustrated with her and he was having a hard time in the book. Like it was really, it was warranted. Like he was experiencing his own trauma working in the hospital. And so I I didn't, it didn't make me like him less, even though I understand from Diana's point of view, how frustrating it must be to have him be so controlling. I thought it was really interesting how he started off being like, he was the good on paper guy. Like he was the guy that she thought she wanted, but she only wanted the idea of him. And then she realized that she had thought what she wanted isn't actually what she wanted. So I thought that was really well done. Okay, here's where I net out. I think it's not okay to break up with your boyfriend who's a surgeon, who's dealing with the front lines of the pandemic and 
what I assume is like April of 2020, except he proposed to her. So like he pushed it. I think like her saying that she didn't want to in the face of a proposal was totally okay versus going along with it and then breaking it off later. I Um, completely agree. But if she had just dumped him without him proposing, I think I would have felt really differently. Yet you wanted her to cheat on him in the Galapagos. Has your, since being with Jeff, has your opinions of adultery in or cheating in books changed, do you think? I don't think so. I mean, I've always just had like very much a, I mean, he's never cheated on me, so it wouldn't. Oh, no, I don't mean that. But I just mean in general, like I feel like, so in a lot of Ellen Hildebrand's books deal with somebody cheating. Yes. Like very, most of them I feel like do. And I never have any problem with it. I like find it really like salacious and interesting to read about. It like creates a lot of tension and like character dynamics. But sometimes I'll read Goodreads reviews and people will just be like tearing it apart because of the on the basis of the fact that there's cheating in it, not even like anything having to do with the like characters or the book itself. Oh, no, I don't feel that way. I will tell you not Jeff related, but a girlfriend of mine has dealt with something and I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this without like outing her, obviously. I've just realized that when children are involved in a mar- in a marriage, cheating, there's more, there can often be more of a tolerance for that kind of behavior in the effort of keeping the family together. And I don't always know where I am now on that because I'm, I tend to see things in such black and white, but I've never been married and I don't have kids. This is such a tangent, but it's made me more understanding of of people who do stay together in a situation like that. So I'm becoming a little more compassionate, but I'm generally like, oh, you cheat? Like, goodbye. (laughs) In real life, obviously, but in a book, I just, I feel like it leads to interesting stories. Yeah. Yeah. I've also never been cheated on, so I have these, like, high standards of, like, what (laughs) one would do, but I've never actually, like, had to be like, fuck you, asshole. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe I have been cheated on and I just don't even know it. (laughs) I don't know. How did you feel about the ending of the book? I liked it. I felt I felt better about Diana. You know, she's ended her relationship. She's figured out what she wants to do with her life. She's going into school for therapy. Um, She's made big changes and she's moving forward. And it was very open for interpretation. I felt it was like slightly cheesy, but I appreciated it. Yeah, I like that it was open enough to interpretation, but it still felt rooted in the real world. Like, yes, if if she had actually run into Gabriel, I think I would have eye rolled about it a little, maybe. Yeah. Um, I like that she sought out other survivors of near-death experiences and, and she connected with Katomi Ito. They kind of bonded over the fact that, like, they were both holding on to love that was no longer possible for different reasons. Diana, because hers had been a dream and Katomi, because like her husband died. And it's like, I I liked they helped each other and like that Katomi helped Diana understand herself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what I loved? I loved, and I didn't know this. I loved the story of Adam and Eve from the Quran that they tied in about how Adam and Eve were put on opposite sides of the earth and needed to find each other. And how that was like a metaphor for Gabriel and and Diana. I like I really loved that, and I didn't know that that's how the story was told in the Quran. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I didn't know about that either. That was new for me. But I loved I loved the ending. I thought it was like it felt like the only ending that would have satisfied me. Yeah. Yeah. I also just afterwards, did you do any research on like near death experiences or anything? No. So do you know this story about Mary Steenburgen? I Googled it. And I know it now because I Googled it because I saw you put it in the outline. But um, Rachel talks about this every time Mary Steenburgen's in anything on TV. She like tells me the story, which I'm like, I'm always like, cool, thanks. But like in, in light of this book, I thought it was really interesting. So Mary Steenburgen, who's an actress and she's uh, she's married to Ted Danson. She's in everything. She's the mom and elf. She's in a lot. Yeah. She was in book club. Yeah. She had some type of surgery. I'm going to really butcher the story because I did not look it up because I feel like I know it from having Rachel tell me about this so many times. So 
deserves a fact check. She had some type of surgery. And after the surgery, she woke up and she was able to hear music in her head, like fully formed, composed music. And she learned to write music because she like couldn't get it out of her head and has like since composed like things for the soundtrack of like Pixar movies and like worked on professional worked on music professionally even though she had literally no musical background whatsoever before this um and I thought that was so interesting that is really really cool just to say that like it does people do have these weird post surgical or post traumatic health event experiences yeah i don't know another thing i thought was really interesting here so ha- i feel like i've seen this talked about various places. Like, how do you think authors are going to treat COVID after the pandemic is over? Because obviously this book deals with COVID and I was happy to read about it, but I kind of feel like it's an isolated case. I don't think I'm going to go read a lot of books that take place during COVID or have COVID plot lines. I think it's going to be a a really across the board thing, depending on the author and how they feel. I'll say I really liked in the new Gossip Girl, I've kind of stopped watching that, but how they addressed it in the beginning is like, oh, you've been locked down for a year. Like you got to have cute outfits or something. And then they moved on. Like they acknowledged it and moved past it. So you want acknowledgement, but you don't want to like directly deal with it. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have picked this book up if it weren't for the fact that it was by Jodi Pico because I just knew it was going to be such a treat. Um, And I'm so glad I read it because I enjoyed it. But I just, it's not something I really want to seek out. I think I would be fine if people ignored it and like made made a fictionalized version of 2020 and 2021 for like books or TV or like just didn't deal with it. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. You can don't don't deal with it. You can briefly mention it, but I don't need you to like bring it, me back to that. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to keep reliving it. Like I feel like this book was cathartic in some ways, and I feel like if we were to make a time capsule and put it in about like what the experience of these two years was like, this would be like a top contender because I feel like it just was so emotionally resonant. Like it captured not just like the events, like the facts, but it captured the emotion so well. Yes. In that podcast episode, um, they talked about like how like journals from this time could be like a piece of history, like that she could donate to like the national, like the National Archive someday. Yeah, I think I I feel like this was perfect, but I don't feel myself compelled to go seek out other types of COVID content. I will say I, I felt like when you were talking about not knowing about the healthcare workers, like I feel like you did know and you blocked it out. Maybe. Because I feel like there was so much that I realized I blocked out as I read this. Like it's not the that I didn't trucks know. on the street. It's not that I didn't know. I just think I didn't really think about the specifics. Okay. Yeah. Remember but do you remember the the like trucks refrigerated trucks of dead bodies? That I remember. Yes, but I like had pushed that out of my head and then I remembered it like reading the book. There's like so much that this book brought back that I don't know. I think it's obviously important to acknowledge that the past and learn from it. But I really think there's a lot of 2020, especially like that from like March through June that I, I, I blacked out. Oh my God. Do you know what I did block out in this book made me remember, and we didn't even talk about this, is in the plot line with Diana's mother where people were visiting outside of nursing homes because they couldn't go in and like people were visiting their spouses outside. Like she had the friend who she met who was visiting his wife who would come every day and like sit outside even though his wife didn't remember him. And I was like crying in those scenes. And I totally had forgotten about that. My aunt did that with her mother. It was like, I remember like our group text talking about it and being just like so upset for her that she couldn't see her mom. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. This book brought back some heavy feelings, but I, I did love it. I did too. Should we get out of the book and into some end matter? Yes, but first let's take one last ad break. Um, And today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So we're both thinking a lot about our goals and intentions for the year ahead, and maybe you want to be a little less stressed. Maybe you need some help setting boundaries with someone in your life. Maybe you just want to talk to someone and get an unbiased opinion. And in any of these cases, BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who might be able to help. 
If you're looking to pinpoint or address anything that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp could be a great fit for you. Yes, and they make it so easy. So first, you fill out a simple online questionnaire that assesses your needs. They ask you about your age, your relationship status, your past experience with therapy, and what you're looking to address. And then they match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 24 hours. Then you get to choose how you want to interact with them. You can message them anytime, no scheduling needed, or have weekly video or phone sessions, whatever works best for you. Something we really love is that they also have counselors who are specialized in specific issues like stress, anxiety, relationships, parenting, addictions, eating, sleeping, trauma, family conflict, LGBT matters, self-esteem, and more. All told, they have over 20,000 licensed professional therapists. And what's great is that they're committed to facilitating great matches. So if your first therapist isn't a fit, they make it free and easy to switch if you need to. And anything you share is always confidential. Best of all, it's more affordable than traditional online counseling and financial aid is available. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash badonpaper. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash badonpaper. Becca, I actually have a really good Instagram obsession this week. Tell me. I feel like I I haven't been like adding a lot of people to my following and stuff, but a friend of mine sent me Cyrus.library. And so it's C-Y-R-U-S.library. And he is so creative and funny. My favorite thing he does is these reels that are an unintentional sculpture analysis. Like he like finds just found objects and like does this whole analysis of them. Like he had this like tree covered in ivy with a like a dead Christmas tree next to it and it was talking about how the 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 father was like the Ivy League achiever that was like upset with the sun and the sun was like under achieving and the sun was the pine tree that's like laying on the floor on the ground. It was just it's so fucking funny. I I, re- I watched that one and then I went back through his reels and watched every single other one of his sculpture analysis. It's so weird and so funny and just so well done. And he like, he's very, very well spoken and just seems like he could be some art critic or some like professor character. I love him. Okay. I don't have anything to add. I don't have an Instagram obsession. I've been spending all my time playing SimCity on my phone. So I like haven't been really adding a lot of um, <laughs> Instagram follows. But I I hear that. I do have a regular obsession. Tell me. So in anticipation of editing my book, I bought these highlighters because I was like, I had this vision of I was going to like very intensely highlight. It's been accurate. I don't really think most adults have like a need for highlighters in their day-to-day life. But I got these ones on Amazon. They were like $6. They're really cheap. And the brand is called Zayar, Z-E-Y-A-R. And they're like pastel highlighters. They're so much prettier than the highlighters that we had when we were in school. And they like, they're light. Like they're not the ultra bright, like hurts your eyes type highlighters. They're like mellow highlighters. I looked these up because I saw them in the outline. I looked them up as I as I looked up the Mary Steenberg story. And they're beautiful. They're so pretty. They're really nice. I mean, I don't know what I would use them for outside of this book editing process. Like I don't think I've really used a highlighter in years. So I don't know. They might not really fit into people's lives. But if you are looking for highlighters, I'm like, wow, highlighters have come a long way since I was in school. Yeah, they're really beautiful. What's yours? Mine is, I I will tell you, I've been like doing really badly with Instagram ads. Like I've bought so much equipment for my blog and my Instagram, like tripods and lighting kits. They always like get me with those, but this is something different. This was also an Instagram ad and it's amazing. It's called a Nori iron. Um, What's and that? Nori is actually iron spelled backwards. It looks like oh, a, a big- I thought Nori, isn't Nori like the seaweed that they use yeah, for yeah, yeah, sushi? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what did Grace buy? <laughs> no, it's not. I'm not making sushi at home yet. Maybe someday. If we have another lockdown, that could easily be an activity I get into. I um, took a sushi making class once and it's actually really hard technically to like roll it. Like even if you have the right ingredients, there's like a skill to rolling it and all of mine kind of fell apart or were like very ugly. Serena Go just posted like homemade sushi on her Instagram. She did a reel with it and she's, I mean, she her content is just beautiful, but it made me think maybe I can make sushi. <laughs> I don't know. Well, good thing you got your nori iron. The nori iron is not for sushi. It is for your clothes. And it looks like a giant straightening iron. But like you can iron your clothes while they're on you. 
Like it, um, have on you seen you? this Instagram ad? Yeah, it looks literally, no. it literally looks like a straightening iron, but it's for clothes. And so you can, like, if say, how I'm do you like, not burn yourself? You'll see. If you need to look at this thing, but like, say you're running out the door and you've been sitting all day and you realize, like, it's like, um, your dress is creased in the middle. Just like grab the nori iron, heat it up, and you can, you don't have to take your dress off and deal with all that annoying stuff. It's great. It's like the lazy person's iron. So I am looking it up and I like understand how you would iron something on the hanger, but I don't understand how you would do it while a cl- while something was on you. I mean, maybe I'm not supposed to do this, but that's what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> I've been at, I'll like, have to watch it. I'll have to watch a video when we're done and see how they use it cuz I can picture like it does. It looks like a straightening iron with like the clamp, and I can picture you like running that over something on a hanger, but I'm like how do you do that when it's on you? I do it when it's on me. I was literally going out to dinner the other day and I was like, oh, my shirt's a little wrinkled. Just heated it up and like didn't take my shirt off and ironed it. <laughs> <laughs> this might not be the proper use because now I'm on the website looking at things and everything shows the, <laughs> the items still hung up on hangers. So maybe you don't listen to me, but it's a really convenient iron. At least you don't have to use an ironing board. Um. I'm actually really shocked that your obsession is not Wordle, just based on your morning texts to me about your Wordle scores. I love Wordle, but that was yours last time. I didn't want to like, I sometimes I feel like our obsessions is like, I have one and then it's yours the next week, or you have one and then it's mine the next week. I thought I would be interesting and tell people about this amazing iron, but I love, <laughs> I love Wordle. It makes me so happy. Today's was really hard. When there's two of one letter, we talked about this. Oh, it like breaks my brain. I like can't comprehend it. Also, Um, for some reason, if a word starts with a vowel, it like also breaks me. Also, I don't seem to think that X exists as a letter because the other day the the word was proxy and it took me six times to get it. And I was so like, I literally almost missed it. I missed one a few weeks ago because it was query and it just like didn't occur to me that a Q could be part of it. Yeah, that would that would mess me up too. I've only been playing for I think today was my fifth. I'm five out of five right now. So I have not been playing as long as you or Spivey or a lot of people. I got Jeff playing it. It's like a fun thing we do because we we don't live in the same place. So it's I'll be like, Did you do your wordle? Like and I have three texts every morning. I do my wordle before I get out of bed and then I have to send my score to three different text messages. You my text with um Rachel and uh, our friends Maxie and Tara and then my college friends group text and then we have to talk about today's world like it every yeah. morning I do that with you and with Jeff and Jeff doesn't always do it wait can I tell you something that he said he's like wait you don't look up like word lists and, and look in the dictionary to help you out that's and fucking I was cheating Jeff I was like that's cheating I, I like, am that's- so upset right now I got I, I, I like got him a little because I was like that's cheating like you shouldn't do that and then he was like, no, I'm just being resourceful. And I go, that is such a white man thing to say. <laughs> oh, Jeff. He doesn't do that anymore. He's been scolded. Probably. But I was like, oh, you're so good at this. It was your first one. It was it was proxy. I think it was that day. And he got it in four tries. I was like, wow, good job. And it, I came to learn that he had some outside help. Cheated. I, yeah. Oh. This is like a different kind of cheating, but like still serious. <laughs> Oh man, I've lost a lot of respect for Jeff in this conversation. I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him that you I was gonna side text yeah. you and be like, tell how do I'm you disappointed. Feel about this? <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> um, let's talk about books. Okay. What have you been reading? Uh I've been reading a lot because I've been mostly just like in this week. I did go to dinner last night, but I've been like very much indoors and not doing much. And I read a lot over the weekend. I was really tired over the weekend. I just needed to like introvert and like hide out a little bit. So I'm on, I'm kind of ongoingly reading Outline by Rachel Cusk and Atomic Habits by James Clear. I have not been in the mood for Atomic Habits, which I've committed to like talking about it on my blog at the end of the month. So I've got to get back into it. But sometimes I just don't want nonfiction. Like I know you can relate to that, but. Oh, I can totally relate. I also feel like I I do feel like my New Year shine has worn off slightly three weeks into the new year. Oh, I have no shine. I'm dusty. It's like, I'm going to do all these goals. And I still I I still do want to do all of my goals. But like my enthusiasm for accomplishing things has like somewhat waned. 
Yeah, I hear that. So I'm reading Atomic Habits, but I'm going to read some more of it today, but I need to like get back on that train because I got so much more nonfiction that I want to read. Have you heard about finding your unicorn space? No. Okay, Reese Witherspoon recommended this. I almost sent you a copy as I ordered it for myself, but I wasn't sure if you'd already seen it. And I feel like sometimes your pulse is more on, it's nonfiction, but it's all about finding your creative space in like in a busy world. And it was was like pitched to me as, not it wasn't pitched to me. I, I saw it on Instagram, I bought it. It was, I was told that it's like perfect for fans of big magic. Oh, okay, I'll check that out. So I bought that. I bought the new Brene Brown book. I have so much nonfiction to read. And I feel like Atomic Habits is bottling me a little bit. But I'm going to get back into that and read more of it. The other book I've been like reading ongoing is Outline by Rachel Cusk. And with that one, I just have to savor it because it's not really about anything, but the writing is beautiful. So like it it lags a little bit for me because I, you know, I'm like more into really plotty books, but I love how she writes. So I read like 20, 30 pages a day of this one. And then I have four books that I read two. Wow. I fully read two. The first is The Christie Affair by Nina de Gramont, which I think you had told me about this one. I'm dying to read this one. And I saw your review was generally positive. Yes, I loved it. Oh, okay, Um, great. It took me a little while to get into, but I thought it was so smart. So this is about the 12 days where Agatha Christie disappears. Like she just disappears. Basically her husband has asked her for a divorce and she disappears and nobody knows what happens. And in history, we still don't really know what happened. And the author had a very creative reimagination of what actually could have happened during those days. And it's actually most of the book, it's told from the perspective of her husband's mistress. And Hmm. there's also its own little murder mystery. It goes back and forth between the the narrator, the the mistress's childhood and like what got her to be the way she is right now. Cause you kind of, she kind of comes across, I mean, not kind of, she comes across as very cold and calculating. And you're like, why is this woman like this? There's so many little details in the beginning and it feels like really slow, but you have to pay attention to every little detail because it's all like woven in so perfectly. And at the end, you're just like, oh my God, it's so good. It's got such a good ending. Oh, maybe I'll read this next. I really, really recommend it. It doesn't come out until February 1st. So if you're listening, it's coming out very soon. So you should pre-order it, but it's not quite out. I think this would, it's not our book club, but it would make a great book club pick if you're in a book club and you maybe don't want to read whatever we're reading, but it's a great book. I loved it. The next one I read, which you read too, was Reckless Girls by Rachel Hawkins. How did you feel about this one? Oh, your face tells me that you were not a fan. I did not like the main character. I felt that like the characters were all like young and kind of trashy. I stayed up late reading it because I needed to know what happened. And I liked the plot. I just didn't like the characters. So I'd give this like a B plus maybe. Yeah, I'd say it's a B plus for me. I enjoyed it. It was a fun like I just read so many thrillers and I was like, this isn't like it's not my favorite. I liked The Woman Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins a lot. I think she's such a talented writer and she has such like a breadth of of like she has so much dimension as a writer. Like she's writing thrillers and she's writing royals romances and she's just written so many different types of books that I find her incredibly impressive as an author. But this one, was I was more medium on. But I think it's just because I'm a little bit older and I was like, I don't like this character. Like, Oh, I liked it. I, I agree that I didn't love the characters, but I don't think that's really important to me in a thriller. So I thought it was a very imaginative plot. It's, it's about this um, couple, young couple who are in like their mid-20s who take, a, take on a boat charter Um, from two rich girls to go to this island in the South Pacific where it used to be a refueling station in World War II. And then also there was a shipwreck there in the 1800s at some point. And it has like this very storied history. So it's kind of woven through with the history. And they go there and it's paradise. But then when they get there, there's two other people there. And then another guy shows up and it all goes to hell. And I I really liked it. I, I really liked the way it was told where it flashes back and forth between the present and the past. In the past, there's chapters from different characters of who they were before they were on the island, and they're not all who they said they were. I was into it. 
some of the twists, I guessed. So I don't know that it was like the most shocking, but I still, I really liked it. I wanted something fast that would just like read in a day on uh, over the weekend. Yeah. I, it was a fast, fun read for me. And I did like the plot and I liked all the stuff with the history of the island. Mm-hmm. I just was like annoyed by the characters. Okay. And then I have two more that I'm currently reading and listening to. The first is The Maid by Nita Prose. And the main character has a, like a bit of a learning disability, like in like this like social awkwardness to her. It reminds me a little bit of maybe like Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And she's this maid. She like loves her job. She like doesn't think there's anything better in the world than being a, a maid for this fancy hotel. And one day she discovers that one of the guests, a very high profile guest that she had formed a friendship with is dead. And then it turns into a murder investigation and she finds herself the the um, center of it. And I don't really know what happens much more than that, but it's gotten really good reviews and a lot of people seem to really love it. Like in my um, monthly reading list on my blog, a lot of people told me to read this one. Okay. So that. And then I'm listening to The Good Sister by Sally Hepworth, which is about two different sisters. They're twins. And one of them is like the good, perfect sister who got married and like, you know, lives this like perfect, like perfect according to society's expectations life. And then the other sister has just some developmental challenges and it is very misunderstood. So I don't know where it's going, but I love Sally Hepworth's books. I I think it was The Mother-in-Law was one of my favorites by her. So I'm excited to have that. I've been doing that as I do chores. Like my my new thing lately has been to put an audiobook on as I do my chores and just like clean the house because I feel like my place just no matter how hard I work, it's always dirty. So I've been doing a lot of audiobook listening and like deep cleaning and detoxifying my apartment. (laughs) So that's a lot. Six books. Two that I read, two that are ongoing, and two that I'm currently reading and listening to. What about you? So in addition to Reckless Girls, which I also read this week, I'm reading Better Than Before by Gretchen Rubin, which was the alternate habits book that I bought at the same time I bought Atomic Habits. And I would say I'm enjoying it more. I think the story, like the way that it's written, I, I res- it resonates with me more. And like there's more storytelling and examples in it that I really like. I think the problem with this book as like a habit book is that there's not really a framework in it. So it doesn't really give you steps or tell you how. It just kind of gives you a bunch of ideas and thought starters. So I don't feel like it's necessarily as actionable. But I do think it is more nuanced in terms of how it deals with different types of people as opposed to Atomic Habits is more generalized. And I do, just as I, I thought I would, like I do just resonate with a female point of view more than a male point of view in terms of hearing about the things that she's thinking about, even though she's a mother and her life is very different than mine. I like somehow it, it just is landing a little bit better for me, but it, it is less actionable. So about halfway through that, and then I'm like probably like halfway to two-thirds of the way through Olga Dies Dreaming, which we talked about in the ad, but I'm actually also reading, and um, I'm really enjoying it. It's like a very sprawly book where there's like so many different plot lines that are all woven together. Like it's a very ambitious book, but it's it's also really enjoyable. So I'm reading that too and really enjoying it. But I'll be honest that I've been reading less because I feel like when I'm editing my book, I I just am having less capacity for it. So I've been watching a lot of TV this week instead. I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I I think there's only so much you can do in a certain like sphere. I feel like also reading things right now because I'm feeling really insecure about my own book, reading things makes me somewhat anxious too because even though I know that most books started out as, you know, imperfect kind of things and, you know, through editing, they got to where they are. Sometimes it's really hard to read a book, especially in a similar genre to what I'm writing and be like, oh, how is this so good? Yes, that I could hear. I could definitely feel that. It's like when I'm in like in a slump creatively, I can't look at other blogs. This, This is so different, but like it makes me feel like bad about myself or just like I'm not doing a good enough job or whatever. So I think that's also why I've been gravitating towards things outside of my normal wheelhouse. Like I I specifically picked up a thriller this weekend because it has nothing to do with what I'm writing. So I could totally read it and not judge myself. So yeah, maybe I'm going to be doing some like 
out of character reading for the next couple of months. Well, that's a really good transition because our February book is a thriller. And I'm so excited to talk about this book with everyone. I read it when I, when I, like I read it a couple, I guess a month ago, maybe two months ago. What is time? I loved it so much. I really think that this is- Tell people what it is. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I've done this before. Sometimes I just don't want to tell you. I was building towards that, Becca. Oh, you were building. I was like, but what is it? It's Greenwich Park by Catherine Faulkner. And I really think that this is going to be this year's like girl on the train. I loved it. It's such a fun, twisty thriller. It's so good. It's going to be a fun one to talk about. So this one is about it's um, it is set in in London. And this woman, Helen, is she has this like idyllic, perfect life. She's married to a handsome architect. She lives in this beautiful Victorian house. She's pregnant with a baby on the way after like years and years of trying and struggling with infertility. So there is a trigger warning for an infertility here. But um, at her prenatal class, she meets this woman, Rachel, who Rachel is, could not be more different from her. Rachel is like drinking and smoking throughout her pregnancy. Seems a little bit unhinged, but you know, I think Helen's a little bit lonely and they strike up this unlikely friendship. But then it turns out Rachel knows some secrets about Helen and her husband's past. Then it's kind of like every, Rachel is threatening to expose everything that Helen and her family have worked so hard for. So I'm going to leave it at that and tell you that it's, it's very twisty. It's super fun. This is a great, if you love thrillers, like I think you'll really enjoy this one. Okay, I'm excited. I haven't read it yet, but I'm excited to read it. And apparently I'm in a a not typical reading phase. So a thriller feels like just the ticket. I think you're going to enjoy this. Well, that's what we've got for you. I would love to hear what you thought about this book that we read this month. Um, Wish you were here in the Facebook group. I love when our listeners join the conversation and tell us their thoughts about the book in the Facebook group. So we'll start a thread there. We're also on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm on Instagram at Grace Atwood. And I have a blog, thestripe.com. I post there Monday through Saturday. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. 